Welcome to this week's episode of Texas Slang for Crazy. It's also our very first of 2022. So I guess if we're going by years is kind of our third season. This week, we're starting off strong with the Church of Wells. The town of Wells, located in Cherokee County in East Texas, is honestly not that big of a place. In the early 1900s, the town was thriving and held on until just around World War II. According to reports, by 1990, the town counted only seven businesses remaining and about under a thousand people. While Texas has a lot of small towns that have been hit hard by things like recessions and COVID, Wells sadly stands out for other reasons. An evangelical church that has been called a cult by almost everyone who has interacted with them. The Church of Wells is no stranger to controversy. In May 2012, a three-day-old baby named Faith Shalom Persley died due to lack of medical care. Her mother is RH negative, which causes complications sometimes, and her mother did not receive prenatal care as the church advisors advised against it. Church elders also advised that when the child began to show signs that she was deeply ill and possibly dying, that they would pray over her. When the baby eventually died, they continued to pray over the child at, 15, or at different homes for 15 hours, hoping to resurrect her before they called 911. But the most jarring case is that of a member that still belongs to the church, Catherine Grove. Catherine is the third child of Andy and Patty Grove. According to her parents, she was always devout. And in addition to her weekly church attendance and participation in the youth group at First Baptist Church of Huntsville, she also participated in Bible study after classes at school. She excelled in school and was part of the National Honor Society. And her goal was to travel around the world and visit South America to do mission work. Then Catherine's grandfather got sick. He was battling leukemia, and she came to live with her grandparents to assist in his care. She was so worried about him that she ended up leaving her Spanish studies at school and entered studies for nursing instead. Sadly, her grandfather still died. Shaken, she decided to leave school and move back to her parents' farm. Eventually, she earned a license as a certified nursing assistant, but in 2013, her parents started to worry about her very severely. She was withdrawn, and she started making comments about not seeing the point of following her path any longer. She dropped out of choir and quit her job. And then in July, she gave away all of her belongings to charity and left without saying anything to her parents or friends. Worried, five days later, the Grove family received a phone call at 11.30 p.m. Catherine told her parents she was in Wells, Texas, and she told them not to worry and that she was being well taken care of. But it was the last part of their conversation that raised suspicion. Catherine told them that she was going to need to listen to the elders of the church and therefore could no longer listen to her parents. She also mentioned that the church would have a very bad reputation on the internet, but that none of the allegations were true. According to Texas Monthly's Sonia Smith, a reporter who has written extensively on the Church of Wells, the Grove family was able to piece together what likely happened. In 2010, Catherine Grove attended a Bible translating conference, and it was there that she met a traveling evangelist who told her all about a non-denominational church led by three street preachers. He told her that this church was the only one in the United States truly practicing real biblical Christianity. Likely, nothing would have come from this meeting had Catherine not tragically lost her grandfather. The Groves discovered that shortly after her grandfather had died, Catherine began to email and use Skype to talk to members of the Church of Wells. Initially, the Grove family wanted to keep an open mind and give their daughter's newfound devotion a chance. 
they decided to visit their daughter on the way to visiting other family in Texas, just to make sure she was really as safe as she claimed. On their first attempt to locate the church, they found nothing but were directed to the R&R Mercantile, which was owned by the church. They didn't find out much, so they called their local Baptist church minister and left a message. Now, that's not as weird as it sounds. Baptist church sometimes work together, so the one from theirs and, you know, calling the one at Wells likely wouldn't have been that weird. The Groves decided to check out everything on their way back from visiting other families since they couldn't really find anything out. But when they returned three days later, they asked four teenagers in a pickup truck if they knew where the church was. One of them told them where to find it, it was an old home, and said, you're looking for the cult. He then gave them a warning that they needed to get their daughter out of the church immediately before she got married off. So here's a quick rundown of the church and their beliefs for those who are not familiar with them or haven't seen a few of the specials. They're not as well known as of a cult as a lot of other things. <laughs> The Church of Wells wasn't always called the Church of Wells. It was founded by three men in their 20s, Sean Morris, Ryan Ringnold, and Jacob Gardner. The church attested that no church in the country was up to Jesus' standards of righteousness, and they would lead the charge. The three founders met at Baylor University, and at the time, they were extremely devout. Morris was even shooed away by campus security and had his bullhorn confiscated at Baylor for disrupting classes with outdoor preaching. While in college, Sean Morris had a vision that he had a fellow classmate, Cassia Martins, and they would get married. He believed that this vision was directly from God. Their relationship was not physical and not very romantic. Martins was soon not really talking to her own family under Morris's direction, and Morris became more and more controlling. He told her that her clothing was immodest and that men would lust after her when she was wearing sweatpants. He instructed her not to wear makeup. After constant debates, Martins began paying bills for Morris as he didn't have a job and relied on love offerings or financial gifts for his church. Morris then began interrupting his religion and philosophy classes at Baylor with constant debates, which drove professors and fellow classmates who were paying for these courses crazy. In one particular incident, Morris declared that men should be dominant, women submissive, and advised that he could beat up any woman. When the class did not respond well, he changed his position, but just changed it to, uh, nine out of ten girls could not beat him up. What? Martins eventually had enough of Morris and broke up with him. He told her that she was disobeying the Lord and would be renouncing her faith if she didn't marry him. Ryan Ringnold went from party boy to serious and for after he met Sean Morris and they teamed up. Morris and Ringwald graduated and went to preach across Texas, Pennsylvania, New York, Florida, and even South Africa. But it was pretty clear that people were not into hearing their message. They got shut down a lot. Unfortunately to them, this translated that they were suffering for their message and they were more Christ-like now. They were extremely charismatic, so like any cult that drew people in. They gathered at a small you know, a small little following and set up shop in Arlington at Jesse Morris, Sean's brother's home. The three started to refer to themselves as the saints and the elders of the church. They then closed church meetings to outsiders. The elders wrote their very own treatises, including a 704 page work by Sean Morris called The Condescension of God. He reduced it to a slightly smaller book called The Doctrine of Judgment. Morris writes that the modern seminary is all wrong, 
that mega churches are all evil without exception, and that Christmas is demonic. The Church of Wells uses a practice of separation of new recruits from their family and friends, which is better known as shunning. This is a fairly common practice with cults. It removes a person from those who may share concerns or act as a safety net for that recruit. It helps the religious leaders keep control of the recruit. Morris even separated himself from his own family, save for his brother Jesse, the one they were using the house. He wrote a letter to his parents claiming that his grandmother had gone to hell for not converting to his version of beliefs. His family ended up hiring security to keep the brothers from coming to the funeral. There are, of course, countless news stories and blog posts of parents separated from their children, grandparents from their grandchildren, friendships being ripped apart, and various horror stories of those broken down by the church who eventually escaped under cover of darkness. Initially, the church was called the Church of Arlington, as that's where they were headquarters, so they figured they'd capitalize on having the city name in their church name. Members couldn't afford to live in the area, though, so they started sending folks out to see where they could find a more permanent home where everyone could afford to live. A group of three traveling evangelists for the church broke down in their RV in Wells on New Year's Eve 2011, and that's when a lot of the drama started for Wells. They ended up speaking to the local Baptist minister and explained their beliefs, saying that true Christians must reject all aspects of the carnal world. And then, when the Baptist minister refused to let them address the youth group with their message, they condemned the church, saying the minister was a false prophet, leading his church to hell. Their message is primarily fire and brimstone, even declaring that if children aren't born again, that they're hellbound. And then came the arrival of other church members. Pretty soon, members of the Church of Arlington came in and began buying, leasing, all sorts of property. The residents of Wells thought the new church members were strange, but probably not dangerous. They were dressed very conservatively, and they spoke with phrases taken from the King James translation of the Bible. And this is important, as the Church of Wells believes that the King James translation is the only accurate translation of the Bible. Keep in mind, right, the King James Bible is notorious for errors. Just, I'm going to throw that out there. Just throwing that out there. Um, Pretty soon, though, the behaviors of church members went to, from strange to downright eerie. Members of the church started going to other churches in the area to accuse the congregations of being false churches with no real spiritual currency. Members would walk the streets with headphones on, listening to sermons from their elders. Soon they were going to individual homes to spread their message, and if someone turned them away, they told the resident that they were going to die, basically that God was going to kill them. While many of the residents of Wells profess to follow the Christian faith, not just anyone can walk into a service at the Church of Wells. You have to undergo classes to indoctrinate you before you can even step foot in the church for a regular church meeting. The unfortunate man who lives right next to the church has a lot to tell on the podcast Cultish. Matt Myers and his wife purchased a home and some land in Wells. When they purchased the home, there was nothing around them at the time, but they were aware of the church's presence in the town and that the church was buying property all over the area, including the only grocery store, the R&R Mercantile. The Myers returned to Oregon, packed their things, only to arrive back at their new home in Wells and see that the church was building on the previously empty property just next door. According to his interview on the Cultish podcast, he and his wife became acquainted with the church when their friend got married after becoming a member. 
Myra's wife went along with the women during the service and was appalled to see that most of the women carried small switches, which they used to discipline their children. The strange thing, other than, you know, having tools of abuse, was that when the children were struck with the switches, there was no crying. The church service itself was two and a half hours of fire and brimstone, keeping in mind this was a wedding. When Myers encouraged his friend to leave because he thought she was in serious trouble, she refused to go. Children in the church are instructed to remain quiet, even the youngest of infants. If they cannot behave, they are beaten until they do, according to members who have left the church. But back to Catherine. Back in Wells, the Groves made it to the home the church was occupying. The home had upper windows all boarded up, so they knocked on the door and waited. Ryan Rignold came to the door with another young man, and after hours of discussion with the church members, Rignold accused the Groves of trying to kidnap their own daughter. They were able to see Catherine eventually, but only if Rignold was with them. Instead of their previously assertive daughter, they found a meek and submissive young woman that was almost unrecognizable. She explained to her parents that she had come to Wells, thinking she was a true believer in Christ, but the church had shown her that she was truly lost. When the meeting ended, Ringnold told the Groves they could call Catherine on her cell phone at any time. They returned another two times, but each time they were told they couldn't see Catherine without one of the three church elders present. Instead of time alone with just their daughter, they were exposed to the elders talking about church doctrine for hours while Catherine remained silent. The Groves were verbally abused with accusations of being unsaved and ungodly, but they endured these thinking that maybe they were just having to jump through a few hoops to prove that they could be trusted alone with their daughter. They were horrified when two days later, Patty Grove was told by the elders that she was going against God's will for speaking without her husband's express permission and to keep her mouth shut. Catherine told her parents that she didn't need them anymore and that they should leave. A month later, the Grove stopped by the R&R Mercantile to get ice cream and ask about Catherine. They were immediately told to leave and refused service, but when they didn't leave, the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office was called. The Groves were given a notice of criminal trespass and told to leave. However, the sheriff deputies also demanded that Catherine be brought out so that they can make sure that she was okay. She arrived sullen and told her parents that she wanted to stay with the church. Keep in mind, she's with other church members. The sheriff deputy could do nothing but let Catherine go on her way, as she was not a minor. Still, the Groves persisted. This is their daughter. They participated in a prayer vigil with the Baptist church and told a crowd of 75 people what happened to their daughter. They had a peaceful march to the church property, but did not step on to the property itself. The group swelled to about 100. The crowd demanded to see Catherine. A woman in the crowd crossed the boundary and stood on the lawn asking why they wouldn't give Catherine back. She left, and the crowd began singing to try to calm things down. The church elders returned home and began shouting at the crowd. The crowd sang louder. They did disperse when asked by the local sheriff to do so, but that was when residents of the town started to gather behind the groves. A community meeting was held at the local Methodist church. Following this meeting, the residents of Wells started to boycott, encouraging residents to shop outside of the R&R Mercantile, or any of the other businesses owned by the church. And at the time, they had, the church had a tree cutting service, a lawn service, and a construction firm. The R&R Mercantile ended up closing as a market because nobody in Wells would shop there, but was still used for church meetings. And then the story went national. The church stopped granting interviews. Their only responses were posted on the Church of Wells website, claiming that they were being harassed for being concerned with Catherine's soul. 
The church posted a 20-minute video of Catherine's baptism, which came out roughly at the same time Catherine had an interview come out with the Jackson Daily Progress. About a month after this, Catherine left a prayer meeting at midnight and went missing for 18 hours. She was found in the woods with a backpack full of clothes, and when the sheriff deputies offered to take her to a woman's shelter, she declined and went back to the church. On April 4, 2015, Catherine reached out to her family, saying she needed them in Wells. Four hours after her phone call, she walked about 10 miles down Highway 69, carrying only her purse. Once she crossed the border into the neighboring county, she accepted help from a neighbor and made a 911 call to the sheriff. They picked her up and took her to the sheriff's office in Lufkin, Texas. She had left the church and her fiancé. When Catherine began to discuss going back to the church after being picked up by her parents, her parents took her their daughter to a mental hospital to have her examined. Catherine claimed she was angry that her parents would not partake in discussions about her belief. Catherine called Preeti Morris, Sean Morris's wife, and even though Preeti was nine months pregnant, the Morrises got into the car to drive to the Groves' home in Arkansas. They demanded a wellness check on Catherine from the Madison Sheriff Department, and they were turned down and told that the Groves had called and said to expect the Morrises and that if they stepped onto the Groves' land, they would be arrested for trespassing. Morris grew heated, and the sheriff asked the couple to leave. They did, but Sean Morris wrote a six-page complaint, which she sent to the county sheriff to complain about how they were treated. Catherine was released from the mental hospital after four days, the longest she could be held without a court order or her permission to be treated. While in the hospital, she was interviewed by FBI agents. The Morrises and Catherine's fiancé, Ronnie, came to pick her up from the hospital, using a back entrance so to not have an altercation with the Groves who were at the front. On April 9th, Catherine returned to the Church of Wells and released a video claiming she hadn't wanted to leave the church and she was sharing her side of the story to prevent additional slander. She claimed that she was going to her parents in an attempt to convert them and bring them to the Church of Wells. The video, though, features Catherine looking, well, like a shell of a person. She sighs, she looks frustrated, and honestly, the whole thing is started off by Sean Morris, who makes a declaration about how they've been cleared through all of these charges and keeps talking about how Catherine is not eloquent of speech and says, oh, she came to us this way. But in the video, she seems scared, like someone trying to keep up with someone showing her cards of a teleprompter under duress. To date, Catherine's parents claim that their daughter has tried to escape at least four times that have been documented. In 2015, Six members of the church were arrested at Joel Osteen's church, Lakewood Church in Houston, after they interrupted the service and shouted that Osteen was preaching a false message. Members were also arrested after preaching over a group of people riding the Staten Island Ferry, which led to a physical altercation. Don't mess with New Yorkers. As of three years ago, members of the Church of the Wells were arrested again for going to the neighboring town of Alto, Texas, and screaming at a pregnant auto store employee that she was going to hell. They refused to leave the store and were arrested, but the church denies that this ever happened. They claim they were being arrested simply for being Christians. In 2018, media personality Dr. Phil did an investigation of the church and interviewed a street preacher from Austin who claims he was drugged, as well as talking to Catherine Grove's parents. In 2021, the Cultish podcast interviewed neighbor Matt Myers, who has been very vocal about his helping people who want to escape the church. Unfortunately, many who escape the church end up returning due to deep emotional fears that they are going to hell if they don't. 
If you want to see the church messages for yourself, they do have a website. Be advised there's some pretty messed up stuff on there, including rebuttals for accusations that the church has kidnapped the children of multiple families. They also posted Catherine's discharge paperwork from the mental hospital. To date, the Church of Wells now has missions in Australia, Africa, India, and Peru, so unfortunately they're globalizing. And this is just a friendly reminder. The Church of Wells is not an accurate representation of the entire town of Wells. They're also not a great representation of Christianity as a whole. There are some people in Wells and some in the Christian religion that are amazing and really truly want to do good, so it's important to keep that in mind. Thank you so much for listening. This is one of our longer episodes. I'll put up all of my sources on the website so you can see where I got the information as well as the interviews with the Cultish website, which is amazing. Thank you for listening. Have a great start to your 2022 and we will talk to you soon.